You're listening to a Sunday morning sermon by Authentic Church. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, it's really good to see you all. And as Tammy said, we do miss you when we have our Explore Weeks. Um, after the summer break, some of you may remember, we started a series on people who encountered Jesus. And so far, we've looked at Zacchaeus, and we've also looked at the Samaritan woman at the well. And today, we're going to look at Nicodemus and his encounter with Jesus. Our encounter takes place in Jerusalem during a Passover festival. And it was during this festival, we read in John chapter 2, that many people saw the signs that Jesus was performing and believed in him. And it's following this that Nicodemus's encounter with Jesus takes place. Now, I think it's important to understand just who Nicodemus was. Firstly, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were a group of Jews who set themselves apart so that they would not be polluted by the world. Pharisees pledged themselves to obey all of the Jewish traditions and rules to the minutest detail. They were sticklers for ceremonial purity, which kind of made life difficult for themselves and certainly difficult for others. They also had a very particular expectation of the Messiah, who was a person prophesied that would come and be the saviour of the Jews. They believed that the Messiah would bring an immediate new kingdom and free Israel from their Roman oppressors. Nicodemus would have had a very specific expectation about the character, the person and the actions of the Messiah they were looking for. Now let's be really clear, Jesus reserved some of his harshest criticism for the Pharisees. As one Bible dictionary puts it, clashes between Jesus and the Pharisees were frequent and bitter. And we see this evidenced in the Gospels. He called them a generation of vipers and condemned them for impenitence. He criticised their view of righteousness and upbraided their pride against others. He scorned their lovelessness on the Sabbath and rebuked them for not being baptised. He taught them about um, divorce and taxes and condemned them for their covetousness. If you've ever read Matthew 23, the whole chapter is dedicated to Jesus accusing them of hypocrisies and he prescribes over them seven woes. Woe to you, he says. The Pharisees, in return, were also accusatory of Jesus and accused Jesus of blasphemy, of being in league with the devil, of breaking the law. And they also plotted many times to destroy him. So that's who Nicodemus was. He was a Pharisee. And it's really important to understand that was his background, that was his thinking, that was his faith, that was where he was coming from. And Nicodemus belonged to them. But Nicodemus was also a member of the Sanhedrin. 
Now, the Sanhedrin was the high court of the Jews, which, presi- which was presided over by the high priest. And it was made up of 71 members and acted as a ruling council of the Jews. The Sanhedrin was responsible for plotting to kill Jesus after he raised Lazarus from the dead. It was the Sanhedrin who brought Jesus to Pilate so he could be so he could be crucified. Based on this, of being a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, I think you might expect that Nicodemus probably didn't like Jesus. Or to put it a less emotive way, you would not expect Nicodemus to recognise Jesus for who he was or even want anything to do with him. At best, you might expect Nicodemus to act like the other Pharisees and condemn him outright and denounce him in public. However, as we're going to see, Nicodemus goes out of his way to seek a private audience with Jesus. So that's Nicodemus, Pharisee, member of the Sanhedrin, They really didn't get on, and that's a really important point. So let's read what happens in this encounter. And if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'll be reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. There was too much to put on the screen, I'm afraid, so if you have a Bible you want to follow it, please do so. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. And the NIV entitled it, Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you then believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, as ever, if you follow The Chosen, 
they did a wonderful clip, a uh, video of this um, encounter. Now, I'm not going to play all of it because it's six minutes long, but if you do want to find it, it's, uh, it's on YouTube. They have their own channel. Now, again, just bear in mind, The Chosen isn't a direct translation of the Greek or the Hebrew, any of that stuff. It's an interpretation. Um, but I think this is quite nice. The Eastern Slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here. I love that, honestly. If you get an opportunity to watch it, and I was actually thinking if we finish early, if you want, I might just play it because it's like six minutes. It's just brilliant. And there's a, without any spoilers, there's a wonderful bit at the end which goes completely off scripture. I mean, it just completely is like, it's not written anywhere. But it's a wonderful interpretation of what might have happened next. Um, so if we get a chance, let's see if we can play that at the end. So, about Nicodemus's visit. What do I notice straight away? Well, verse 2 says, he came to Jesus at night. You'll notice they were sitting in the dark. They had to have the oil lamps running. Now, there's no explanation in the scriptures which says why he came at night. Now, this is surmising, but I think we could surmise maybe he didn't want anyone else to know of his visit. Maybe he wanted to keep his interests and meeting private. Maybe he didn't want to risk his position in the Sanhedrin. Whatever the reason, I think we can assume that his fellow Pharisees may not have been impressed with his one-to-one -one visit with Jesus. His one-to-one -one visit with Jesus. So what else do I notice about this encounter? He acknowledges, as we read in the verses, that, G that Jesus is a teacher who has come from God. He also acknowledges that Jesus is not acting alone, for he says, no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And I like this about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is clearly open-minded and seeking to learn. He asks, how can this be? He wants to know. He wants to know who Jesus is. And also, despite his heritage, his Pharisaic bias, Nicodemus treats Jesus with respect and without prejudice. He does not shout at him or accuse him of wrongdoing, unlike his fellow Pharisees. He even addresses him as rabbi, 
which is a spiritual leader and a religious teacher in Judaism. I think here we get a sense that Nicodemus is starting to wonder, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the one? And that, I think, is at the heart of his visit to Jesus. Now, from this encounter, I want to say I like Nicodemus. I like his openness and willingness to be taught. His seeking after the truth is commendable. These traits today, despite us being more maybe enlightened, I think are often hard to find. People seem to be more prejudiced and biased than ever before. There seems to be a lack of openness and willingness to be taught, a lack of questioning and more espousing. People are not seeking the truth, but sharing my truth. How did Jesus react to this nighttime clandestine meeting? Well, Jesus, I think, was incredibly patient and loving. He was kind and wanted to help Nicodemus. He did not vilify him. He did not aim at him the accusations levelled at the groups of Pharisees who accused him of breaking the law, their law. I think we see here Jesus doing what Jesus does so well. He spoke to the heart of Nicodemus's unasked questions. He knew what Nicodemus needed to hear, maybe though Nicodemus didn't know himself. How often does Jesus do that to us today? I don't know about you, but I very much and very often put myself in God's way and ask for people to pray for me. And I think I'm coming with this issue. I need you to fix this problem. I've got this issue. And what does Jesus do? Yeah, I'm not so worried about that. <laughs> what I really want you to focus on is this. This is Jesus, isn't it? This is Jesus. We think we have problems. He's like, no, 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 no. And this is what I think is happening here with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is coming with this set of unasked questions that we might be able to guess at. And he's like, whoa, I want you to hear this. And I love that. I love how Jesus did it then, and I love how Jesus still does that today. Jesus reveals to Nicodemus the truth of his earthly mandate as the Son of Man, the Son of God. He tells Nicodemus the truth concerning the kingdom of God, that unless your spirit is born again, you won't be able to see it. Also, that the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up, that people must see and recognise and believe in him to be saved from their sins, which lead to death. He compared himself to Moses, who, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have known intimately the story of Moses, about Moses lifting up a bronze snake for the people who were dying from snake bites. And it was only after looking at that snake lifted up were they healed and saved. Jesus made it clear to Nicodemus that eternal life is only available as a result of the belief of looking at Jesus. Put simply, 
in 14 verses, Jesus explains who he is, why he's come, and what Nicodemus needs to do to enter the kingdom of God and receive eternal life. Simples. In 14 verses. So what happens next? What happens immediately after this amazing encounter and meeting? How did Nicodemus respond? How was Nicodemus affected by this encounter? We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. There is nothing recorded in scriptures that immediately says this is what happens next. It's like a book or a film that ends without a conclusion. And as Tammy will testify, they are the worst type of films and books ever created. I hate getting to the end of a film and you're waiting for this. This is how it's going to be. And someone just walks off into the distance and you're left to come to your own conclusions. Oh, it's like I've just wasted two or three hours of my life or hours of reading a book and you haven't told me how it ends. I find those books desperately, desperately frustrating. But, but, the scriptures do record the actions of Nicodemus twice more. But they happen some time after the encounter. And I think these future actions of Nicodemus give us an amazing insight into how Nicodemus was changed. In John chapter 7, we read once again of Jesus' teaching in Jerusalem, this time at the Festival of Tabernacles. And after Jesus' teaching, accompanied again with signs and wonders, it caused the Jewish crowd to wonder, and it says this in in chapter 7, is he the Messiah? The crowd are now thinking, is he the Messiah? And it says many in the crowd believed him. And as a result of this, in verse 41 of chapter 7, some declared, he is the Messiah. Seven, chapter 7, 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about Jesus. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. The Pharisees were incensed when the guards came back without Jesus, saying, no one has ever spoken the way this man does. Even the guards who should have obeyed and arrested him were like, oh, we can't do that. Then Nicodemus crops up and he's recorded as saying, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Now, while this is not an open declaration of faith in Jesus, in believing he was the Messiah, Nicodemus raised a protest to the chief priests and Pharisees on a technicality of their own law. Nicodemus, I think we can conclude, is trying to help Jesus out. He's trying to protect him. Secondly, we meet Nicodemus again in chapter 19 of John. After Jesus has died on the cross, but he has not been taken down for burial, 
we read in verses 38 and 40. Later, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away, and he was accompanied by Nicodemus. Nicodemus. And it says, the man who, who, who earlier had visited Jesus at night. The scriptures want you to make sure this is not some random Nicodemus. This is the same Nicodemus that visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, it says, about 35 kilograms. 35 kilograms. Now, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen that was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. In the book, in his book, sorry, Jesus of Nazareth, Holy Week, which was written by Pope Benedict XVI, he observes that the quantity of the balm is extraordinary and exceeds all normal proportions. This is a royal burial. This is a royal burial. So what can we see from these actions as a result of Nicodemus's encounter with Jesus? Nicodemus accompanied Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus. Even though secretly he feared the Jews, Nicodemus was working with a follower of someone who is a disciple of Jesus. Now I'm going to take a leap of faith that Nicodemus would have known Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of Jesus. Scriptures don't tell us that, I'm going to be very clear, but I'm going to make an assumption that he knew. That was the first thing. The second thing, Nicodemus brought an extravagant, expensive amount of myrrh and aloes, and aloes fit for royalty. I think this act demonstrates his recognition of who Jesus was. Thirdly, this action of Nicodemus was carried out in the light. People would have seen him. People would possibly, probably have known him and make assumptions about what he was doing. He was no longer coming to Jesus in the dark. He was coming to Jesus in the light. So what does all of this mean for us today? I think like Nicodemus, we can all come with our prejudices and biases about who we think and believe about Jesus. But what I think we can see from Nicodemus is that he was prepared to be open and willing to be challenged and changed by Jesus. Someone once said, our minds need to be like a brolly. It only works best when it is open. I think we need to be open and apply Jesus' teachings to our lives. 
Nicodemus was also prepared to question and challenge them around him who did not share his view. Sometimes he had to swim against the tide. And if you've ever watched the chosen starting sequence, there's these blue fishes that swim against the tide of all the other fishes. And I think sometimes we have to swim against the tide. Ultimately, Nicodemus' convictions led him to act. He publicly took the body of Jesus down from the cross. We can hold strong views about Jesus, but if we don't put them into action, they remain just that, a strong view. The world needs more than just our views on Jesus. They need to see us act like Jesus and act on our beliefs. And lastly, what does it mean for us today? We need to engage with Jesus. We need to push into him. Jesus, Nicodemus, saw Jesus out. He took time and he took a risk to meet with him. I'm learning after our few days in Fowdy Brennan that I need to set regular times to meet with Jesus, just to be with him, just to spend time in his presence. Like a one-to-one. <laughs> and that's not what happens necessarily on a Sunday morning. Nicodemus went out to meet with him one-on-one. So in conclusion, while we do not read conclusively in the Bible that Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus, it is widely believed he did. In the Catholic Church and in the Eastern Orthodox Church, Nicodemus is recognised as a saint. They certainly believe so, but we can't be sure from scriptures. Nicodemus was trying to fit Jesus into his view, his doctrine, his theology and ideology. And I think we have to be really careful of this. Let's be clear. Jesus did not allow Nicodemus to do this. And it was only through an encounter with him that he changed his view. We need to seek our own encounters with Jesus. Jesus responded to Nicodemus with what he needed to hear rather than what he wanted to hear. We have to be prepared for that. And finally, without this encounter we would have not got the verse, John 3.16. I wonder if that verse was only written because of Nicodemus's encounter. It follows, we finished at verse 15, I deliberately stopped, 16 comes next. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And 17 is equally as important, but I'm not going to go there today. This one line of scripture has been seen on more placards, stickers, bookmarks than any others. I still remember as a kid watching the Winter Olympics 
I don't know how old I was, and someone in the crowd was holding up a sign that said John 3.16. I didn't have a clue what it meant. But there it was, and we still see it today. If you're struggling with life, if you're having a hard time, if you've got questions or doubts or fears or anxieties, whatever it is, then I just want to encourage you today to seek Jesus out. Seek him out. Amen.